Well, this morning, I, um, <clears throat> I want to share something with you, a picture that I've had in my mind since I was a child. I honestly don't know where it came from. I don't know if it's a memory. I don't know who or how or why. But ever since I was a child, I have this memory of seeing an elderly missionary couple standing in front of their home and waving at my family as we left. And this missionary couple didn't have very much. Living on the foreign field in Brazil, you would look at their house. It was clean, well-kept, but it was by no means large. It was small. And they didn't have very much. All that they had came from the Lord, and their needs were met daily. Their oceans removed from family, their children, and their grandchildren being back stateside. And you would look at it from a worldly perspective and say, out of all of the years, out of all of the service, out of all that you have done, look at what you end up with, hardly anything at all. There's one more thing I need to mention. That's the focus of this picture in my mind. It stands out as the centerpiece. It's the expression of joy on their faces as they wave at my family. My question can be, how can someone with so little have so much? How can someone with years spent so far from home, removed from family, have such joy in their hearts, expressed on their faces. And I don't know, maybe they really were struggling. Maybe they were masking the difficulties that they faced on a daily basis. Maybe there were trials that they were going through, but you wouldn't have seen that. You wouldn't have noticed by looking at their faces. What is the secret to finding joy? That's the sermon title this morning. The secret to finding joy as we continue in the Advent series, what's the world is, this is what the world is searching for. It's actually probably one of the most basic foundational understandings of the human behavior. Because you can take a study on human behavior that traverses time, space, races, religion, social statuses, cultural norms, and you're going to come up with something that is very close to this. A basic understanding of the human nature is that we're all searching for something. We're all searching for meaning. We're searching for purpose. We're searching for identity. Every one of us. And I will argue this morning that the craving on every single human heart is that they're searching for joy. And this is where we come to this morning, the main idea is that the world is searching for joy. But here's, here's the thing. Joy has already come into the world. And my question that I'm going to ask you over and over this morning is, have you found him? Because joy has a name. And if we think about this as being one of the most basic foundational understandings of human behavior, that the heart is searching for joy, we actually recognize that this is helpful for us 
If, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you look around at society around you, you might be able to have a good starting place for answering questions. Here's a, here's a few scenarios. I'm just going to walk through a few scenarios with you to think through. And this list is by no means exhaustive. You might have other situations you can think through, but let's say you have a friend or a family member who comes to you and they need counseling because they're struggling with addictions or depression and, and, and they just don't know what to do. What are you going to tell them? You can start here. The world is searching for joy, and joy came into the world. Or maybe, maybe you know of someone who's struggling with relationships, or you're struggling with relationships yourself. For you adults, you're struggling with relationships at work. Or maybe youth and children, you're struggling with relationships at school. And there's this constant pressure to conform to what your peers think is cool, or to conform to what the world says is right. And you have no idea what to do. Start here. The world is searching for joy, and joy came into the world. Or maybe you feel like the weights of finances, or politics, or the uncertainty of the economy is just simply too much to bear these days. You get so frustrated every time you turn on the news. And you don't know what to think anymore. Start here. The world is searching for joy, and joy came into the world. <laughs> it's one of the most basic foundational understandings of human behavior. And we know, we know that if the world continues to search for joys, but it clings to all of the wrong joys, it clings to all the wrong pleasures and things in this life, that it's going to be this perpetual getting worse and getting worse and getting worse. Paul tells Pastor Timothy, as he's pastoring Ephesus, this. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This defines a world that is searching for joy. They're looking for it in all the wrong places. You see, as the world searches for joy in trivial and trite things, they're only going to receive satisfaction from those things in the measure of their value. And I'll explain that with this quote by John Bloom. He's an author and article writer for Desiring God. He says this, Our greatest pleasure is always the measure of our greatest treasure. Let me read that again. Our greatest pleasure is always the measure of our greatest treasure. Well, what he's saying is, in a nutshell, is this. If the world is going to be searching out pleasures from the things in the, this life that cannot give them the satisfaction of their hearts, cannot fully fulfill them, they're always going to be left empty. But if you place your treasure in God, who is infinitely more valuable than anything we know or understand, he's the most glorious being, then your pleasure in him will be in the same regard infinite because you've placed your hope and your trust in a God who is immeasurable. That's where we ought to find our joy. He's the one where we ought to find our pleasure, the Lord. So what can we say 
of this picture that I have of this elderly missionary couple? What is their secret? How did they find joy? And specifically, how did they find the joy that the world is searching for? I'm going to divide this sermon up into three main points, and that's this. First of all, the joy that the world is searching for is found only in the person of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the joy that the world is searching for is sufficient for everyone. And thirdly, the joy that the world is searching for is everlasting. So starting off here with point number one. The joy that the world is searching for is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. Of course, I'm going to start here. (laughs) I wouldn't be preaching a gospel sermon if it wasn't, first of all, based on the foundation that Jesus Christ came into this world and he changed everything for you and me. He's got to be the starting point. God's redeeming plan is through Jesus and Jesus alone. We confess there is no other way to be saved but through believing that Jesus died in your place. Well, let's look at the Christmas passage, Luke 2, verses 8 through 11. And this is what happens in the account of the Luke 2 passage. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The proclamation of this joy coming to the world, the proclamation of this joy for all the world, is found not only in an event, not only in the expression of the people, but in the person that was given, the person of Jesus Christ. And when we sing joy to the world like we just did a little while ago, It's not only the expression that we recognize. Like, just be joyful. Let's just be joyful in our hearts. That's an empty joy, just to make yourself feel joy on the outside. No, the joy that we're talking about this morning, the real joy that came into the world, is actually the embodiment of God come in the form of man. Joy came to the world, and his name is Jesus. And we need to remind ourselves of that. When we talk about joy, do you have joy? Do I have joy? We're talking about a person. And we're talking about an understanding of what that person did. How that changes us. Right here, that impacts us and how we live. The self-existent, self-sufficient, preeminent and eternal God came in the form of man. God sent his son into this creation to suffer and to die in our place. That's ultimately the point, right? I remember um, in years past here at Ventura, we had um, the picture of the cross and the manger right below it. From cradle to cross. That was the whole point, right? That was the whole plan. He came into the world. Look at this precious little baby. He's going to suffer and die for us. And sometimes we can pass that off as, yeah, it moves me for a little while, but then I continue on with my day. And I think sometimes we don't let it sink in just exactly how difficult that was. Sometimes we might be tempted to think, okay, but it wasn't a big deal. It was God. He can't hurt. 
He's, he's immense and immeasurable. Nothing hurts him. This, this is the God of the cosmos. Okay, he sent Jesus into the world to die. But really, can I, can I just pause right here and say how ignorant, insensitive, how inconsiderate and unkind of us to think that it didn't cost God very much to send Jesus into this world. Are you following with what I'm saying? It cost him everything to send his son to die for us. And we treat it so tritely. We get offended when, when we do an act of service that's not appreciated. Or we get offended when we make a pie for someone who doesn't like it. That's when we get offended. But we're talking about a holy and awesome God who was totally invested into a redemptive plan to send his son into the world that we would receive him and understand the fullness of joy. God is offended by a world that turns their nose at it and says, I don't want that joy. I want all these other joys that are lesser. Do we recognize that? God's loss is the price for our joy. If I could put that another way, our joy comes at the expense of his pain. God sent Jesus into this world and it was painful for him. And he does that in demonstration to show how much he loves us. Right? That's the natural reaction. At such a cost, at such a price paid, it goes to show the value of what is being purchased. And God is saying, I am making such a cost. I am making such an expense because I love you. Don't you know my joy? Don't you understand? It's not a trite thing. When we gather together for Christmas and understand Jesus came into the world, it was an immense cost. And Jesus ultimately has to obey the Father's commands. No, not has to. Jesus does because he loves the Father. Jesus obeys the Father's commands from day one all the way through to the Garden of Gethsemane and beyond. Jesus is obedient to the Father. And it's actually Jesus' obedience to the Father that demonstrates his love, right? Jesus tells his disciples, if you love me, you would obey my commandments. And he tells them that this love, he's, he's calling us to enjoy this love, to abide in this love with him. And then he says, that's so that you can know joy. This is what he says to his disciples. This is Jesus speaking in John 15. And Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And Jesus' desire for his disciples is that they would know his joy and that their joy would be full. Jesus, is the whole point of his coming is so that they would know the joy of the Lord. Jesus came to completely turn upside down the searchings of the world and finding joys and all these lesser things. And Jesus says, I am the real joy you've been looking for. The joy that Jesus brings is not fleeting. It's not false. 
It's not fake. The joy that Jesus brings is full. And he's offering it to you. Joy did come to the world. Did you miss him? Are you still searching? Because I can tell you this morning, it's not too late to find him. If you haven't found him, I must warn you, and I'm, I'm doing this as a friend, as a brother in Christ, I must warn you, the consequences are severe for having missed Christ as the joy that you need. For Jesus says in John 15, if anyone does not abide in me, he is take, thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. The consequences are severe. So stop searching for joy in all the wrong places. Stop searching for joy the way the world searches for it. In popularity and pleasures in riches. Do you know what those things are? They're distractions. They're distractions from finding the real joy. The real joy that is life-giving and fulfilling. Real joy came to the world. And this is the story of Christmas. We believe it. It's found only in the person of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the joy that the world is searching for is sufficient for everyone. We understand that the joy that we have is not ours to hold within, not ours to not share. It's ours to give. It's a, it's a joy that we express to all, for all are welcome to it. This is what Luke 2 says again. Look at verse 10. And this is the angel speaking. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. We're not talking just about the Jewish nation here. This isn't good news for them alone. We're not talking about social classes. This is only for the, the lowly or this is only for the wealthy. No, it, it, it traverses demographics. It traverses time and space. We in America, a thousand, couple thousand years removed, have received the joy because it's for all people. We've come to see this, that the joy of the Lord that has come because of the Lord and who he is is for us too. And we ought to share that joy. His joy is sufficient for all. So we share it. Now I was correct in assuming that the missionary couple had something greater than just the expression of joy. They had something more deep, more real in their, in their expressions. But I was wrong in thinking that it's their secret. No, it's no secret. They were expressing joy from their faces. You could see it. It was being demonstrated to all. Believer, if you have come to know Christ as your personal Savior, then in reality, what's going on is in your conduct, in your words, in your expressions, you are to demonstrate the glory of God through the joy that he is working in you, that you are transformed, that you are saved, that you've been forgiven. And that expression ought to be revealed to all, your coworkers, your families, your friends, your neighbors. They need to see it. Because the joy that you have received is also sufficient for everyone else in this world. Here's a, a few passages to look through. Okay, let's, Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, everyone. 
John 1.29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. 1 John 2.2, he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. These are classic passages that some might want to argue, demonstrate that everyone will be saved in the end. That there is no hell. That all are going to receive the pardon of God. That is a dissemination and a degradation and an absolute ruin of our understanding of faith. You have to have faith in Jesus Christ and believing what he's done for you in order to be a child of God. Not everyone will become a child of God. Not everyone is a child of God. We know that. Our doctrines teach us that. The scriptures teach us that. But what these passages are saying is that Jesus' sacrifice, as glorious and as wondrous as it is, it was sufficient to cover the sins of the world. But not everyone will accept it, right? Not everyone will come to the saving faith. But the power behind it was there. The joy that Jesus offers is sufficient for everyone. And because of that, the joy that you and I have come to know through the person of Jesus Christ is a joy that we openly express and share with all those around us. It's not our secret. It shouldn't be our secret, but it should be offered to everyone. The world, I think actually, the world understands this point best. How, how many of you have heard, it's through the holidays, the spirit of Christmas, we say. The spirit of Christmas is that time of giving and sharing. It's that time of gathering together with family. It's the spirit of Christmas, they say. And I think the world actually understands this point, that it's not something to withhold. It's not a time to be greedy. It's a time to give, and it's a time of sharing. This is the season where you see large amounts of uh, money go to homeless shelters or food. They receive so much they don't even know what to do with, with regards to the food. You see people giving and sharing, and all through this time, we've even heard it said where enemies at the front lines lay down their rifles to share a cigarette or a few gifts in trade with one another during the season because it's the season of Christmas. Now, if the world understands this, shouldn't we as Christians Shouldn't we see the need to share the joy of Christmas with all we come in contact? We have the answer to what the world is searching for, and believer, there is enough for everyone to come and feast at this table, and they are welcome. Thirdly, the joy that the world is searching for is everlasting. Now, I just want to clarify what I mean by this point is, is that the real joy that the world is searching for is everlasting. But instead, what we see is the world turns to trite and empty joys that do not satisfy, right? Remember, the most basic understanding of the human heart is that we're searching for something. We're searching for something to satisfy, to fill us. The whole book of Ecclesiastes really talks about this. I mean, even as the preacher says in Ecclesiastes 2, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself, but behold, this also is vanity. I mean, the whole book of Ecclesiastes, you have the preacher basically saying that what's the purpose, what's the meaning of life? And as he looks into everything that's physical and all the realms of, of what we have here, everything turns up empty. It's a vanity of vanities. 
Ultimately, we have to understand that God is the one who provides the joy that is everlasting, that fills us to the fullest, that doesn't leave us hungry or empty. Well, I think one of the realities about humans that explains a lot of what we do or why we do it is that we're constantly trying to distract ourselves. And maybe some of you can relate, maybe all of you can relate with this. We're trying to distract ourselves from the real problems of life. From difficulties or hardships, we're trying to find a way to not think about them. Maybe some of you in here have unsaved family, or unsaved friends, or unsaved neighbors, or unsaved classmates. I have a question for you. What do they do when they meet hard times or difficulties? What happens when the unbelieving world faces stress and trials? Take a moment, just think about some of the people in your life. And some of you might have answers and responses. Perhaps they turn to substances to help them. Substances like food or alcohol or maybe even drug use to help minimize the pain. It kind of desensitizes them from the real problems that they're experiencing in life. So they'll turn to those things because maybe for just a few fleeting moments they can get away from the problem of what they're facing. Perhaps some turn to the lusts of the flesh, that addiction for the next momentary high that will bring just a few moments of pleasure, but then it's gone, and they're left wanting again. Perhaps some turn to aggressiveness or anger in an attempt to manipulate or control the situations around them, but ultimately, that can only last for a while. Soon it's going to come crashing down. And Ventura, I want us to think about this. I'm sharing these, not as something that's out there. Be warned, be careful. Something that's, oh, this is problems of the unbelieving world. No, this is our problem too. We, we are so constantly tempted to distract ourselves from the real joy that has come into the world. And maybe we have received them, but there's still this constant pull of the flesh to turn back to the ways of this world, to say, oh, I, can, I just, it's been a really hard day. I will satisfy myself here with this. Or oh, I just can't get over the stresses of work or finances or, or my children or my relatives, and I'm just going to turn here for a little while. Can you relate with that, that that's the constant distraction that is being thrown at us? We need to put our minds back on Christ, but the world is so real and he can seem so far away sometimes. And if you're struggling with, with that reality, like I would never do these things, I would never turn that route, I'm going to bring up just a few passages. Like 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 11, where... Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church. Or do you not know that the righteous will not, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you but you were washed, sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If that describes you this morning, 
you've been changed because you've found the real joy. And if you're not convinced by that passage, you can look at Titus 3.3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. I've got more. Ephesians 2, and we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. Listen, if you're here this morning, and if you are changed by the gospel, it's because you have found the joy you were searching for. Or perhaps I should say it this way. The joy that you were searching for found you. And you've been changed. You can't go back. You can't go back to the, the fleeting joys of this world. You can't go back to the joys that are fake, false, and fleeting. Because you found a joy that is full. And while you might be tempted, believer, while you might be tempted to go back, you are called to remind yourself and place your thoughts on Christ and what he has done for you. And you are reminded that there is a hope and a promise for you one day that will be made true. When you came to know this joy, it was different from all the other joys you experienced. This joy has so much more to offer. I'm going to argue, I, I know you can all relate to this. Every one of you can relate to this. That the joy that the Lord offers while we are waiting for its fullness to come, this is a joy that doesn't leave me sick in the morning or hungry at night. It's not a joy that leaves me depressed or disgusted with myself or ashamed or guilty. This joy promises everlasting satisfaction Everlasting fulfillment, everlasting life. That's the joy you're waiting for. That's the joy you found. It's a real joy. And guys, it's the real meaning of Christmas. This is the joy that we have come to know. It's the joy that the Old Testament prophets were waiting for. It's the joy that they were speaking of, a joy that would be everlasting. Isaiah 35, 10, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. How about Isaiah 61, 7? Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. This is not a joy that's fleeting. It is a joy that is full. So in conclusion this morning, I want to spend some time on the application here. Because I think it might be helpful to think of joy in a way that is a natural response of the human heart to something amazing that has happened to them. The joy that is felt and expressed by the believer, it's not merely an internal feeling that you conjure up. 
okay? It might be better explained as the natural impulse of both the heart and body in reaction to something marvelous that has happened to you. Let me, let me say that again. Joy is the natural impulse of both the heart and body in reaction to something marvelous that has happened to you. This might be a, a trite example, but just bear with me and follow along and, and hopefully you get it. But if you have a friend that jumps out from behind a wall and spooks you, the natural, the natural reaction that you're going to have is fear. You might scream. You might jump. And that's all a natural reaction, okay? You didn't have to contemplate how I'm going to react in this moment. You didn't need to force yourself to react that way. It was simply the natural outflow of your body. You jumped. You screamed. Okay? In much the same way, Joy is not something you need to try harder at. If you're here this morning, I, just, I, I don't have joy. I, I, just, I need to be better at that. Okay, well, listen to this. It's not something that you force yourself to do when you get up in the morning. I just need, I just need to have more joy. Because while that might be a noble endeavor just to be more joyful, it's missing the mark. It's missing the point. Joy is the natural impulse of both the heart and the body in reaction to Jesus Christ coming and dying for you. It's going to be the natural response you have. I'm sure many of us have Christmas trees up at home. And I wanted to just put, a, put an application piece in here. As you sit in the dim lit room around your Christmas tree, as you do as a family or as a couple or with friends, Look at the Christmas tree, and I want you guys to ponder what God has done for you. If you're struggling with finding joy, think about these things. God sent his son at immense sacrifice to him to save me. God forgave me of all my sin, all of my guilt, all of my shame is completely washed away because of the death of his son. God clothes me in his righteousness that I am forever forgiven and stand in his presence because his son rose from the dead. Christmas is very valuable to us because we know that we have come to find the true joy that has come into the world. Now, I don't want to end here without addressing this. Some of you might be thinking, but David, I don't feel joy. Does that mean I'm not a Christian? I'm not up here to make any statement regarding your salvation based on whether you feel joy today or not. I've been right there. I know joy can be hard sometimes. But I will encourage you with this. Look deeper into the person of Christ. If you feel like you're lacking joy, just ponder Jesus and what he did. Ponder more about God's redemptive plan and the sacrifice he made for you. That's my encouragement to you. And if you respond saying, okay, I want to spend some more time thinking about that while I'm sitting alone or while I'm praying, pondering more about what Jesus did for me, letting it affect my feelings. Praise God, that is the spirit of power working in you. But here's the reality for some of you others who say, nope, 
I, I really don't care to look deeper into the person of Christ, and I really don't have the time to ponder more what God has done for me, then perhaps that is the answer to the state of your salvation. I'm real sorry, Ventura, but I have to be honest, and I have to be bold here to say this. If you don't want God or desire him, then you are not a believer. The relationship we have with this almighty God is that we would want him, that there would be this reciprocal joy that he pours out the glories and truths of his son upon us and that we desire more of him. And if you don't want that, then I bring this to you as a warning. It's not a condemnation on your soul. It's saying, great, there's still time. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about finding joy in Christ. Let's talk about it together. If that's where you're at this morning and you, you don't have joy and you don't have Christ in your heart and you come forward and tell someone, I applaud you for your honesty. I praise you for your integrity and your willingness to come forward because I know that's got to be difficult to admit to close family and co close friends. I don't know if I'm a believer. I don't know if I have that joy. I applaud you. Come forward. Wouldn't you rather know now than wait until you get to the judgment throne of God and hear the most horrific words you could ever hear in your entire eternal existence? Away from me. I never knew you. Don't do that. Find joy who came into the world. Find him. Be satisfied him. Be filled in him. Don't be distracted by your work tomorrow or by the things that you have on your task list. Don't be distracted. Those joys are meaningless. Christ is full and he is offering it to you. God will be offended if you do not accept it. If you believe, however, that Jesus came and died in your place, then God has forgiven you. He's forgiven you your sins, your shame, your guilt. And he's received you as his son and as his daughter. And this is real joy. Have you found what you're searching for? Don't let another Christmas go by without seeing its real meaning. Joy has come to the world, and his name is Jesus. He's no secret. He's right here, and he's holding out his hands to you. Won't you let him in? Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess our need for you. And I pray, Father, that you would stir in our hearts to turn away from the trivial, fake, and fleeting joys of this world to find a joy that's more real, a joy that's more full as we sit around our Christmas trees or as we gather around tables with family and friends. May the joy of our hearts be found in the Lord who gave everything for us to redeem us from all lawlessness 
and that he would purify for himself a people for his own possession. How is this possible, Father? We thank you. Ventura, I'm going to ask that you keep on praying for the next couple of minutes. That you keep on praying and that you would ask the Lord to work in revealing the joy of his son to you more and more this Christmas. And in a few minutes, I'm going to close us with a benediction. All right, I'm going to ask everyone to stand for the closing benediction this morning. I hope you can consider these words as we spend time together in fellowship even after the service. We have so much to look forward to. We have so much awaiting us. For Christ, God has said, Behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. May the Lord bless each and every one of you this week. Amen.